Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. All right, so um, I'm going to go ahead and continue with our series on Jesus is God of the Door. <clears throat> How many of you have been here for the series? Can you raise your hand? All right, for those of you that haven't, I'm going to do a really quick recap. Um, I heard the word of the Lord. It was about a nine on a scale of a one to ten um, as far as a, a strong word from him. And he said to me, in my spirit, internally, Jesus is God of the door. This was the day after I had just preached on Easter Sunday, and I had um, talked about um, Revelation chapter 3. And, um, and I talked about, um, 320, that door into the dining with Jesus of a table and that table being the table of the Passover table. Jesus is the unleavened bread, meaning there was no mixture of culture within him. God is calling his people out of the mixture of the culture to purify us when we say, yes, God, when we repent and we turn from, from being so enmeshed in the culture of the age that it's caused us to become lukewarm. And that, in fact, is what's happened to the Western church. We've become the entertainment, the country club. We've at whatever it takes to kind of keep everybody engaged, right? So we can all keep worshiping Jesus, but we are a powerless church. And so he said, I want you to repent. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock for those that open the door. Again, Jesus is the door. I'm going to come in and I'm going to dine with you. And I'm going to eat at this table What is the food that is sitting on this table? It's the food of the Passover meal. What was Jesus saying in John 14 to John 17? The very last thing he said to his disciples before he went to the cross and before Pentecost, the spirit of fire came down and baptized them. He created a wealth of foundation for that fire to fall on. He created oil for that fire to fall on. And that is what he's doing right now in this generation. And he is saying, behold, I have come. I am knocking to those that open the door. Not only are you going to open the door so that I can come in and dine with you, but then there's a revelation for one door and you're going to come up here and I'm going to show you the things that must take place after this. All right, so follow me here because this is a deep dive. If you're on milk, I want you to try to get out your, your because um, I'm going to give you a ribeye here, okay? And so I need the steak knives to come out, all right? So there's two, two doors that are happening here in the book of Revelation, chapter 3 to the lukewarm church, the Laodicean church, okay? There's a door that's open to a table. That table is the table of truth. And it's that table, he's going to feed you his word of who he is so that you'll know who he is and you'll know who you are in him. The second door opens up once you begin to eat of this food. The second door opens up and it is the door to heaven where John said he ascended and he heard the spirit say like a trumpet, come up here. 
so I can show you the things that must take place after this. Now, Jesus himself talked about this in the book of John in chapter 14 when he said, I'm going somewhere. I got to go away. And all of his disciples are thinking to themselves, wait a minute, okay, we're having the Passover. We're all in Jerusalem. We're all celebrating. You're telling us about all of this. And then now you're saying that you have to go away. And so they're thinking to themselves that he's actually going to go to a place. And so they're there. And he said, and I'm going to go away. And, and the way that I go, you're going to know. And they're like, okay, so what? What do you mean we're going to know the way? We don't know even what you're talking about. And then he goes on and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. At these two tables, at, this, at these two doors, Revelation 3, verse 20, when that door opens up, he said, I'm going to give you my truth. Revelation 4 the door to heaven. I'm going to show you the way you must go. I am the truth. I am the way. And I am the life. And he's saying to you, to this generation right now, this is prophetic. I am speaking to the church right now. He is saying the door is open. I'm knocking. Will you open to me so that I can begin to feed you my word and the truth of who I am? so that you will believe. And then the next door is going to open. This is a double door, double grace generation. The last generation before Jesus returns to the earth. And he did this with his disciples as well. And he fed them this. And he talked about them, about to them about abiding. He talked to them about unity of the faith. He talked to them about the truth of who they had to become and what they had to do in order to be sustained in the transition that they were about to go through. Because they were the transitional generation because the kingdom was about to come. Amen? And so they had to have the knowledge and the understanding of what was happening in order to be sustained in the shaking of what was about to come on the earth. And I can tell you that the shaking now that's happening is going to be far worse than the shaking that happened in that generation. Yay! (laughs) But like I said last week, God is shaking the entire earth right now. The entire earth is shaking. Because he's pushing the entire earth towards his son. He's causing all of us the pressure that we're feeling, the, the, the things that we have no understanding about. He's like, come to me, come to me, come to me. He's removing every single idol that you trust and that you have put your hope and your faith in. And he said, there's only going to be one solution to what scares you. And there will be only one solution right now to all of the people in the earth. My son is the only solution. And I love what he said in, 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 in Psalm chapter two, that the kings of the earth They plot and they plan. But God laughs in heaven at their plans. And he laughs at their smallness. Like he doesn't see what they're doing. But the book of Revelation chapter 17 says this. 
that he will actually allow this to happen until his will is fulfilled. And it's all about, you know, you think it's uh, that, that this is the, the, the plots and the plans of these kings of the earth. If you don't know who they are, they're the uber wealthy people who think they're God. And they're plotting and planning their little way of they, that how they think the earth should be designed. You know who they are, but God is not going, oh no, propaganda. Oh no, mainstream media. Oh, what are we going to do? He's not afraid. He's laughing. He's laughing at this. And he said, but I'm going to allow this to happen. Because I'm going to allow the pressure of it to push my people and to ready them as a bride that is ready for the bridegroom. Because the truth is, is that the church has looked to the leadership and they've almost created a worship to the leadership of the church. But the truth is, I am a friend of the bridegroom. We are a friend of the bridegroom. Our job is to lead you to the the, uh, bridegroom. Take the bride, go to the bridegroom. Bridegroom, it's you need to go to Jesus, okay? I'm here to help teach and train and to facilitate what Jesus is doing in your life. So he, so let's go ahead and get started because we're going to go line upon line, precept upon precept. I always love to say that precept. How many times do you get to use that, right? Every day. Precept. All right. Part three. Jesus is God of the door. Okay. So, um, so he, he introduces this truth to them because it's going to sustain them. It's going to protect them and it's going to prosper them. I'm telling you. The mask is not going to protect you. Yes, I said it. The mask is not going to protect you, but the shadow of his wings will. Let me tell you something. There ain't no virus getting through that barrier. Okay? So um, Jesus said this. He said, I'm going away. And the disciples said to him, where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? And he's like, um, I'm going to leave. And the way that I am going, you're going to know. And they're like, what are you talking about? I, we don't know what you're talking about. And then he said this, where I go, once I get there, I'm going to call you to myself. And they're like, okay, so are you going to, Judea? where are you going, Judea? Are you going to Samaria? Where are you going? I mean, you know, because he had visited a lot of places. But what he was saying is he wasn't going to a place. He was actually going to a realm. I'm going to a realm. I'm going to the kingdom of heaven. And in that place, I'm going to be enthroned and seated at the right hand of my father. And in that place, I'm going to call you up. And what I love about these, these chapters in John is that he, that he says this. He says, I am in you. Now, we can kind of grasp that because Christ in me, the hope of glory. I know that once I am baptized, I mean, once I receive Jesus into my heart and I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, I know that God comes to live on the inside of me, that I am now a God woman and that the two of us are together. But I think what we have failed to fully grasp is what Jesus says when he says, no, I'm in you, but you're in me. As I am one with the Father, that you are there, and I'm actually going to make a place for you, that a mansion, I've made a mansion for you in God. 
So let that sink in for a minute. Father, God, has a place within himself that is just for you. And that today, right now, he carries you in his heart. And that place is a place that was prepared for you. When you said yes to Jesus, it opened up a place within God where he has now adopted you. And he said, I no longer leave you orphans, but I keep you in this place within myself. How much, how beautiful is that? I mean, think about the overshadowing that happens within God himself. What kind of protection, what kind of safety we can have? So the theme of John 15 is this, abiding unto answered prayer and faithfulness. The second theme is overcoming resistance from the world. So let's go ahead and start in verse 1. It says here, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Man, that's such good news. And I love um, in, 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 in chapter 15, he's talking about wine. One of my favorite things in the world. I love wine. And I love that Jesus is the vine that produces the wine. Amen? You know that's some good wine. Like Opus One. Good stuff. But he says this. He says, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. And then he, um, he goes on and, and let me just stop there for a minute. He's the one that's in charge of the wine. The father is the one that's in charge with the fruit that you're going to produce. And as a vine dresser, he's faithful to get you where you need to go. And he's, he's very mindful of where you are in your journey and how he's going to prune you and care for you to make sure that you produce the greatest amount of fruit. Amen? Amen. And he saved the best for last. You know, the, the whole, the whole scene of the wedding and Jesus at the wedding and, and when he turned water into wine, that right there is parabolic. And it is also prophetic about the last generation. He saved the very best wine for last. He's going to take a generation that looks like it's nothing, like it's water. It has no flavor. It's producing no fruit. It's not good for anything. And he's like, no, 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 no. Wait, what? watch what I do. I am going to take this lukewarm generation and within a very short period of time, I'm going to pour out my spirit on them and it's going to cause them to become the very best wine that has ever been seen in the earth. You saved the best for last. Amen? And I say that because that's who you are. Man, that's good news, isn't it? All right, in verse 2, He says this, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, I want to stop here for a minute because, um, and I want to read in in verse 6. Let's jump ahead to verse 6 because he says, every branch in me 
does not bear fruit, I'm going to cut it out. Um, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Okay. Warning. God is love, but God is also looking for those who worship him and are true disciples. Now, here's hear what he says. Because he's saying that those that don't actually abide in me and are not producing fruit, they are the angels that he speaks of here in verse 6. He said they are actually going to cut you out of the family and out of the vine, and he's going to take you, and he's going to put you into fire. Okay, look, I didn't write the book, okay? But I have to tell you the truth of what this book says. We need to listen to this because he's saying, hey, lukewarm. I'd rather you be cold or hot because I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. This is not good. The God of the universe is looking for disciples. He's looking for people who actually say one thing and do the same thing. It's not that they say one thing, oh, yeah, Jesus, but that their lives look completely opposite of anything that he stands for. He died so that we could have his grace to overcome, so that we could have his power to advance his kingdom, so that we would live prosperous lives. And and, and look, it, it doesn't mean that you're going to be making a million dollars a week, necessarily. It could. But it means that you will be filled with fruitfulness inside and outside. Inside, that my internal life looks like the fruit of the Spirit. My external life looks like ministry, First of all, I'm ministering to the Lord. Second of all, I'm ministering to his people. I am advancing things in the earth. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a minute. I'm going to prophesy, feeling that right now. So I hear the spirit of the Lord saying this, that I am raising up my Davids. I am raising up my Davids. I'm calling my Davids out of the cave. Because there are Goliaths in the land and the, and the majority of my church right now are huddled back and being intimidated by these Goliaths. But my Davids are coming out of their caves and they are going to say, how dare you taunt the army of the living God with a boldness and courage with a sword that comes out of their mouth. And the, God said, I am preparing these Davids and they are going to go forth and they're going to lend courage to the rest of my army. And they're going to go forth and stand against and push back these kings of the earth that have come to intimidate my people. Amen. It's a good word, Lord. Thank you for that. All right. We're going to go to uh, verse 5. All right. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And so this is like a key to a map. God is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine and you are the branch. Okay. I love branch. We live in the, the vine dresser's neighborhood. <laughs> Isn't that good? Yeah, it's prophetic. You know how I love prophecy. All right, verse four. Um, He says this. We're jumping all over the place, but just keep up. It's intentional. (laughs) 
All right, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is so beautiful, and I want to talk to this. I want to stop here for a minute because um, we don't really use the word abide. It's not part of our vernacular. It's not part of our generation. And so it's kind of a curious, strange word for us to, to understand today. So what exactly does it mean to abide? Well, it tells us in our concordance that abiding means dwelling. Okay, well, that doesn't really help a whole lot either, right? And so you're like, what is it to dwell with Jesus? What is it to abide in him? Because he's saying, I am, I am abiding in my father. My father is abiding in me and we are abiding in you and you are abiding in us. And you're like, Okay, there's a whole lot of abiding. I feel like I'm at a country western dance. You know, it's like, how do you do that? Again, it's kind of a two-step. I'm supposed to be getting it. And, and there's a lot of twirling going on, and I've got to follow you. But I can't just dance. You know, I've got to do something with my feet that causes me to stumble. It's not you, babe. It's not. Okay, maybe a little. Yeah. We're abiding as we're dancing. Yeah. And so it's, it really is kind of a dance that you do with him. And so there's a lot of practice that comes with two-stepping with Jesus. Okay. There's a lot of practice of how, because, you know, as in, and, and, and it's the same as a marriage, you know, you take a marriage and you take these two people and when they first get married, it's really interesting. They're like, mm, 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 wait, how does this work? We are fighting all the time. We are just, he's hurting my feelings. And, you know, she's not doing what I thought. You know, I thought I was going to marry her. And it would just be like, whoo, like it was when we were dating. (laughs) But anyway, all the married couples are like, yeah. It actually gets better. Okay, so once you start doing this and you you start abiding and you start cleaving towards and you just kind of get to be one, it gets so good. It's like finishing each other's sentences. You know each other so well. You actually start to look like each other. John has started to look like me. I was like, you're welcome. (laughs) Sorry, babe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, uh, Jesus' disciples talks about abiding right after he gets baptized in John chapter one, verse 38. Okay. So goes down in the water. John the Baptist says, this is the Messiah. He is the son of God. This is the chosen one, the one that I talked about. So he comes up out of the water, dries off. And, um, and the disciples are like following behind him. And he turns to them and he said, what do you seek? And they said, we want to know where you abide. We want to know where you're staying. Where are you? And so he tells them, follow me. Now, remember, there's two doors. Let's revisit this, the door of truth and the door of the way. Jesus is going to tell you all about who he is, and then he's going to say, follow me. Those that don't follow me are not my disciples. You have to hear him and follow him. He said, 
Come to me in the spirit and I am going to tell you the things that must take place after this. Why? Because if you don't know, you're going to get scared. If you don't know, you will not have the ability to stand during the shaking because you will draw back in fear instead of push forward in faith. What did David do? David didn't even see all that nonsense. He stepped onto that scene and he said, what is going on? What did he know? He knew the truth and he knew the way. He was walking as one with God and achieving God's goals in the earth for his generation. All right. So three things about abiding that you need to know. All right. Abiding is this. Number one, it is talking to Jesus. It's very simple. Intimacy comes through dialogue. His voice to you and your voice to him. Now, I'm not talking about some religious activity of puffed up words that sound, thou art going to come to me, oh great one. No, it's this, wow, I feel so insecure today. Or I'm having difficulty with this particular person in my life. And I really need you to talk to me about this. Now, remember, God knows the beginning from the end. He knows what's in the heart of every man and woman. He knows your circumstances and everything that's happening behind the scenes. He knows what's going on with that client that's giving you a hard time. He understands the boss that you work for and everybody in your office. He knows what's happening at the schools in this city. He knows everything about everyone. He knows the hairs on their head. How much more does he know about how to advance you in those circumstances? But what happens is because we don't ask him the way, we start doing things in our own strength, called humanism, by the way. And therefore, we end up driving right off of a cliff. And then we're like, help, I'm off a cliff. (laughs) Somebody go send an angel to rescue Tracy again. Okay? But... The better way to do it is to ask and say, hey, what do you want to do here? God is looking for co-creators, not co-dependents. Okay? And so when we partner with him in this, then we can get to where we're going a lot faster without as many problems and without as much drama. All right. The second thing in the three things about abiding is trusting his word. So when he says it, you got to do it. There are so many things that the Lord has told me to do that make zero sense to me. It is above and beyond more than I can hope or imagine. And I'm thinking, there's no way. That's impossible. Exactly. That means it's God. Okay. But as abiding, what we're doing is we're having this conversation all the time. Man, what do you think about this? I mean, I got to tell you, I have serious parking favor everywhere I go. Why? Because I'm like, Lord, I don't want to walk all the way across this parking lot. 
I need parking favor. Whoop, there comes somebody right out of the front spot. You know, okay, well, it did belong to the police, but whatever. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Kind of. So trust his word. And number three, obey his leadership. Okay? You got to obey. He said, those that love me obey my word. They obey my commandments. There's, I know a lot of people right now who are telling me, man, they're living a life and it is opposite of the word of God. And they're like, I love Jesus. And I'm like, okay, well, but his word says that if you love him, you're actually going to obey his commandments. You're going to do what he tells you to do. And that is not a life that looks that way. Beloved, this is not the law. Jesus didn't tell us not to do things because he wanted to restrict us. He told us not to do that because he didn't want to hurt us to hurt ourselves. I don't say, oh, hey, look, um, to, to all my grandchildren, because they're like, I want to ride this horse without you leading me around at five years old. And I said, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. That was this weekend. I, I'm going to continue to hold this. I'm not restricting her because I don't love her. I'm restricting her because I do love her, because that horse will take off with her, and it won't go well for her, right? You all get the, the idea. All right, true discipleship is not just memorizing scripture or hearing a good sermon on Sunday, but it is knowing him and following him. Remember, the first things the disciple did is they say, tell us where you dwell or where you abide, because we want to go where you're going. They saw what they saw, and they experienced what they experienced, an incredible, fruitful life, because they were on Jesus' heels the whole time. Where he went, that's where they went. What he said, that's what they heard. And then he said, and now you're going to do it in my name. Amen? All right, verse 8. It says this, By this my Father is glorified that you have fruit, so you will be my disciples. All right, so fruit is evidence of discipleship. Again, that fruit looks like this. It's the fruit of the spirit, which is internal. So it's the sanctification process. Guess what? You gotta let, you gotta let the Holy Spirit turn your water into wine on the inside. Because fruit smells like something. You want to smell like fruit. It is that incense from the Lord that he talks about in Song of Solomon chapter four, where he said that the the Shulamite began to produce this beautiful garden filled with fruitfulness. And he took his breath and he blew on it and it caused incredible favor to come to her. You think that your works are going to get you where you're going. Jesus said, if you'll follow me, if you be with me where I am, it's the fruit and the incense of that smell that's going to open these doors for you. Where people are saying, I don't know why I'm telling you all of this. I never tell anybody any of this, but I just feel like I can share with you. Or you'll find that that's where the raises are. That's where the promotions are. That's where the lost come in. That's where the healing happens fruitfulness. All right. My old pastor, uh, Terry Moore, used to say this because everybody was like, I don't know if I hear God's voice. And I'm telling you, beloved, he talks to everyone, every single one of us. I think that's me. 
I want you to memorize this statement, okay? God is more able to lead you than you are to follow him. God is more able to lead you than you are to follow him. Sometimes I was like, well, I think it's God. I just go for it anyway. And I mean, he is always, you know what? A father loves a child that is least going to try than the one that doesn't try at all. I, he would rather immaturity than rebellion. He's looking for those. He's like, look, I understand you're growing in this. I love how much you're trying to ride that bike. You're falling, but man, I take such great joy and pleasure in seeing your effort to follow me. And he's going to reward that. Don't despise the day of small things. Right, Mary? All right, verse 9 and 10. As my as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Dwell in my love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. And so he says, obedience that looks like love will produce eternal fruit. Um, verse 11. And I love this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And the beauty of this is that his goal is that through this abiding, he is in the Father, the Father is in him, he is in you, you are in them, okay? The point of this abiding is that as you do this, you actually get to have this incredible adventure in the earth. That you're not constantly... Um, weighed down by worrying because you're following Jesus and in following and trusting his word, you're finding such great joy in that. And so you don't really worry a whole lot. Well, I don't know what's going to happen with the coronavirus or the kings of the earth and you're wringing your hands and you're scared and you're nervous. Well, what about my business? And I'm going to, what if I lose this account? Take your cares to the Lord and say, I really need your perspective on this. I, I, um, you know, and, and relationally, this is get your perspective from God relationally because he really does have the answer. I'll never forget the time with one of my children. They had made a serious life mistake that was going to cost them greatly. I was so mad at them and I was just stewing, you know. Moms, you know what I mean? And so I'm there and I, and so I sat before the Lord and I said, talk to me about this because I'm about ready to, you know, do what moms do. And, um, he said, do not judge this. This is me. Watch what I do with this. And it was weird because everything came off of me like, my judgment, my worry, my pain, my sorrow. And I just thought, okay, you got this. I'm going to, I'm going to pray. And he'll tell you, now this is how you pray. Remember your future. You will walk on the words of God into your future. So the things that he says, you say, and that opens up the gateway. It helps to create life in everything that you do. 
Now, I know I have, oh, 16. Let's read 16. One more. All right. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. God's people are lit, are created by him to live life of answered prayer. When you abide in me, I'm going to give you what you desire and what you ask for. He says it repeatedly. Chapter 15. And so he's saying, listen, as you are abiding in me, as you and I are having these conversations and you follow me, what's going to happen is that the things that you are asking for, not just the things you need, but the things that you desire. Y'all have heard the story about my anniversary and how I desired to stop all of the rain during the rainy season on the property that I was on. And he granted me that desire. Why? Because I abide with him. Because I am a friend of God. Because I, I am his daughter. Because I am one with him and he is one with me. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand. So 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says this. And I want to say this over you because it is true for us today as it was with Paul that a great and effective door has been opened to the body of Christ. He is knocking. And he's saying, will you open to me? Will you turn from your ways? And will you follow me in my way? Will you come away with me and will you take the time? Will you take the time to be with me, to know me, as I know you. And will you follow me so that you'll be protected, you'll be covered, you'll be accelerated in this hour, you'll be promoted. This is going to be the greatest generation that's ever lived on the earth. You are that generation. All the other generations before you, they longed to see and to do what you're going to do. And so, Father, we come before you this morning. And we repent in every way that we have trusted in wealth and we have trusted in idols. We have trusted in the medical system. We have trusted in politicians. And God, we turn back to you, our one and only hope. God, would you lead us in truth, the door of truth? And would you lead us in the door of the way? We step into you, our home that you have prepared within the Father. And we settle it once and for all that you are our home and there is no other place. We love you. We thank you that we live for such a time as this and in this generation. God, we yield ourselves to you, heart, 
mind, soul, and body. And we love you. Have your way with us, God. Prepare us for the return of your son. God, fill us with your oil and ignite us with fire so we can burn brightly that the nations will come to our rising and our light. And I declare over you now, you are the light of the world. And the Lord said, I am taking the bushel, I am taking the covering off of my shining ones. And I'm going to draw all men to you. So we bless you now, God, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.